Hi, everybody. My name is Krisham, and I work on MongoDB Atlas, the most advanced cloud database service on the market. Stay tuned to learn all about how MongoDB is thinking about scalability for the next generation of modern applications and how we're building a new serverless offering that might save you hundreds of hours. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, Chris Chum, Senior Product Manager, working on MongoDB Atlas Serverless Instances. It's a brand new offering. What is serverless, you might be asking? You're familiar with the term. You're probably using it today. But what does it mean in the context of MongoDB? Stay tuned to find out. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me on, Mike. I'm doing, I'm doing great. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. Well, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but I, I want to get right into the serverless topic. And, you know, serverless is something that's uh, confusing in many ways. You know, you know, there are servers, right? So it's not truly serverless, but I think it would be great if we started out the episode with maybe your take or your definition of what serverless is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't blame you at all. I think many of us are all scratching our heads asking the same question. The way that I think about it is really that serverless is a relatively new computing paradigm that developers are increasingly thinking about and using as a tool for building applications in the cloud. And generally speaking, I think a solution would be deemed serverless if it can automatically and dynamically scale compute and storage resources to meet workload demands. It's a pretty broad definition, but I think ultimately it's an abstraction that frees developers from needing to think about servers, hence serverless. So you're absolutely right. It's not that servers don't exist. It's just that developers don't have to think about them. Ah. So it could more aptly be called headacheless, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and we should probably do some marketing and try to see if that takes off. Right. Well, um, Tell me a little bit about yourself, Chris, and, and how long have you been at MongoDB? I'm a senior product manager at MongoDB. Uh, I've been working on MongoDB Atlas for uh, over four years now, um, and, and it's been an incredibly exciting time to just see more and more folks be able to use MongoDB, enjoy the benefits of the flexible data, flexible document model, um, and, and really such a joy to see Atlas, the platform, take off. Um, I recently had a hand in helping launch Atlas serverless instances this past summer at MongoDB.Live uh, 2021. So I, I incredibly excited and, and honored for Mike to feature me or have me on his, on his podcast to be able to talk a little bit more about it. Well, fantastic. And I mean, it's, it's truly great to, to have you on and, and get to the bottom of some of these interesting developments that we've got going on. And so four years, I mean, that's essentially from the beginning of, of Atlas, right? You were here right around the time that Atlas launched then. Yeah. Uh, Atlas just celebrated its five-year anniversary. Um, so I missed kind of the, the first year where we, you know, quote unquote, Atlas learned how to walk, but I've seen it grow really from a product that no one knew about. Uh, and in the earlier days, our struggle was really trying to get uh, the brand of MongoDB Atlas out there. And, and today we have many customers who never even thought or knew about MongoDB not having a cloud offering. So it's, it's incredible to see the advancement that, we, that we've made in, in only just five years. 
Uh, and today, MongoDB is uh, 56% of MongoDB, the company's revenue. We have over 26,000 customers running on the platform, over 2 million databases. So we're incredibly excited. And I think this is honestly only just the start of, of what we're capable of and what we want to do with MongoDB Atlas. So it's, it's been a, a great pleasure. I do want to find out a little bit more about your journey and how you ended up at MongoDB. What did you do prior to coming to MongoDB? I was in school prior to joining MongoDB. Um, I actually interned here as a, as a summer intern my junior year, and I never looked back, so, so to speak. I, I, I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. We actually have a very large Brown faction here at MongoDB. Our, one of our co-founders, Elliot Horowitz, was a, was a Brown University alum. And I heard many great things from, uh, from many of the uh, you know, Brown alum who work at MongoDB. And so I decided to just join, join for a summer and see what it was like. And it's, it's been the, the ride of a lifetime. I, I can't say I, I've, uh, not that I've worked many other places. I certainly have, have interned at smaller companies, but MongoDB just has such a, an incredible way of doing product development. It's such a great culture. Um, it's got, and I enjoy the people that I work with every day where everyone's incredibly humble uh, while we work on some of the hardest problems that uh, people in the industry are trying to solve. What did you study in school? What led you to this path? Yeah, uh, at Brown, I, I did uh, I double majored in computer science and economics. Uh, and so product management was probably the, the right fit for me uh, kind of after a while. But I actually got my start at MongoDB as a software engineer uh, building MongoDB Atlas uh, as an engineer. And that was incredibly fun solving just some incredibly complex technical challenges. Um, but after I think it was about 18 months, maybe 20 as an engineer, I realized that um, I was never going to be the best engineer. And I probably had a little bit more curiosity and interests outside of engineering um, that I wanted to try and satisfy. And that's how I got my start in product management. Um, and so since, since, uh, you know, since transitioning from being a software engineer, um, have had the opportunity to work on still the same domain and the same problem set that is how do we get MongoDB Atlas to continue becoming uh, the most resilient, the most flexible cloud database data platform, but at a slightly different angle, right? Thinking about um, what sorts of, you know, go-to-market challenges, commercialization, packaging, listening to our customers incredibly attentively to understand what are the pains that they're, what are the pains they're having and making sure that we're building a product that is attuned to the needs and pains that they have and making sure that we're solving their problems. It's taken probably a very large village to build Atlas and to build it to what it is today. And so um, I certainly cannot claim any credit for the success of, of what Atlas is today, but it's been incredibly fun to just observe how this rocket ship is taking off. Now, so MongoDB, uh, the folks that are listening that are familiar with MongoDB as a, as a, you know, just a straight database, I mean, it started its life as an open source project. You can download it, install it on your laptop, develop for free, launch your apps, run them for free on your laptop, on your server. You can install it in a data center. Um, and it was largely successful even before the concept of cloud uh, came to be. I'm wondering if you think that 
the success of Atlas is largely due to the success of, of MongoDB as a database, or do you feel like the, the market trends really pulled MongoDB in that direction? That's a very good question, Mike. Um, I think I think MongoDB owes a lot of its success to the open source community and the very large community of developers that rallied behind what was, frankly, a, a very disruptive database model uh, in, in a market that had been stagnant for many years. It was a model that few people thought would... Uh, would succeed and, and honestly could be used for such kind of general purpose, mission critical workloads. And I, I wouldn't say that MongoDB's success is owed to the, the cloud migration or that MongoDB was pulled by the cloud migration. I like to think about it as MongoDB really being true to its vision of making data stunningly easy to work with and therefore being incredibly attuned to what are, what are the developers at large wanting to do or where are they going? Um, I think that our cloud offering and, and even now developing an incredibly robust application data platform is the result of listening to and working with tens of thousands of developers out there who are many of them today when they start a project don't even think about doing an you know doing anything on premise or locally you know what is even an on prem data center anymore everyone's just starting to do things on the public cloud leveraging cloud native building blocks and mongodb realized that very early on was that cloud was going to be the next big thing that you know, if we were going to continue serving our developers, it was incredibly important that we had a compelling solution there. So I think that's, honestly, that's that's how we got uh, got into the cloud. And certainly it's been fortunate to grow as public cloud adoption has significantly increased. So really just an, a natural extension to the original mission of making data easy to work with from a database perspective, now extending that to to today's paradigm where we're, where we're all using cloud services. And it literally seems like everything we do is SaaS based. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about serverless and I think it might be helpful if you, if you describe the product, what, what is MongoDB serverless and, and why was it developed? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Um, so I, I think about it in, um, a couple of dimensions. So maybe the first one we want to tackle is why might developers care about serverless? And so one of the problems and, and some of the problems and challenges that developers often think about is, is in terms of infrastructure sizing and database capacity management. Um, and I did a little bit of homework prior to, to joining this uh, recording session, and I found out that developers, there's some studies out there that, um, that say developers spend about 41% of their time on infrastructure maintenance. And that's a lot of time as, as a developer who really wants to be working on the next, you know, the next big thing, the next unicorn. That's a lot of time to be spent thinking about maintaining infrastructure that we think about as kind of non-differentiating work. Um, and, and even though that we spend a lot of time 
maintaining infrastructure, we don't always get it right. And there are a lot of consequences of incorrectly sizing infrastructure, right? There, there's number one is there's management overhead. Sometimes you just aren't confident in your sizing and therefore you'll feel a constant need to monitor resource consumption and, and make sure there's sufficient capacity. Um, and if you've sized it incorrect, even if you've sized it correctly initially, your application might change in workload patterns. You might hit the front page of Hacker News um, and blow up and you know you need to go immediately go back and adjust your resourcing accordingly. And then there's the worst case if you've incorrectly sized and you've under-provisioned, your application might all of a sudden become slow or become unresponsive if you hit some sort of resource bottleneck. And let's say, you know, I'm going to pay for insurance and I'm going to over-provision and now you're just paying for unused capacity, which can quickly become expensive. Right? So, and so as an engineer at MongoDB, these, there's always some combination of these three things that kept me up at night. And so those problems and concerns around infrastructure sizing and capacity management is a big motivation for why serverless becomes interesting to developers. I think of it as serverless de delivering on two main tenets. Number one is elastic scaling, right? The ability to automatically scale up and down based on workload including sometimes the ability to scale down to zero resources when there's absolutely no workload. The second tenant is consumption-based pricing, right? A, a pricing model that only charges for resources used to service the workload. And if I play those tenets back in maybe more you know, user-friendly words, that model has two main benefits. Number one, you don't need to think about scaling up to meet increasing workloads and you don't need to worry about paying for resources you're not using. It's a serverless is a model that dynamically uses only what it needs and only charges for what it uses. One analogy that was incredibly helpful for me as I started getting deeper into serverless is power utilities. When we're home, we turn on the air conditioner or flip on the light switch without ever thinking about the amount of natural gas that a power plant is burning to deliver our power. Instead, we expect to get a fair bill at the end of the month commensurate with whatever electricity usage I had. I never think about the amount of natural gas that's been burned, right? That would be, that would be crazy. And serverless computing and serverless databases strive for the exact same thing. A simple bill, and you're confident that you're getting billed for what you're consuming while serverless initially gained popularity on the application layer, we, we obviously know by AWS Lambda, Google Functions, et cetera, we're seeing this wave quickly spread to database technologies as well. And, and for very good reasons, as, as we've just covered. And so more and more, what MongoDB has observed is that developers are increasingly expecting the database of their choice should be serverless compatible as well. And so that brings us to what we've just announced at MongoDB.Live 2021. Now, diving into, well, why did MongoDB decide to build serverless instances? I think that really dovetails with what we were discussing earlier, which is just what is our mission at MongoDB? And it's to make data stunningly easy to work with. And that manifested when we built Atlas, right? We wanted Atlas to, we wanted Atlas to 
enable us to de deliver the flexibility of the document data model and the best application data platform into the hands of as many developers as possible. And serverless is just a natural extension of that journey. We started Atlas five years ago making just MongoDB, the core transactional database available as a managed service on a single cloud provider. And since then, over the last five years now, we've expanded it to be available on three of the largest public cloud providers, AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure. And we're now available in over 80 regions globally. And we've been, over time, expanding from offering MongoDB just as serving as the kind of beating heart transactional database behind core mission critical applications into a platform that services many more additional use, use cases with you know, int our integrated search capabilities, mobile and computing at the edge, real-time analytics, querying data in different sorts of environments like cold storage and, and much, much more. And when we, were when we went to think about what's the next step in our application data platform, we asked ourselves what would make it even easier for developers to use MongoDB? Serverless was obviously the answer, right? We wanted to introduce even more flexibility. We wanted to allow customers to deploy an instance with almost no configuration required. And we also wanted to expand our ability to meet new workloads. With serverless instances, we now have a range of deployment options to meet a variety of different workloads. Uh, and we can better meet different workloads that have, some of them might have infrequent or sparse traffic that aren't an ideal fit for the kind of more traditional database consumption models. And so all of these things combined of just where we were seeing the trend, what we were seeing developers using, just a natural segue of where we wanted MongoDB to go in our journey, it just made sense to do serverless instances. This episode is brought to you by MongoDB.local London. It's happening this November 9th, Tuesday, at Evolution Park, Battersea Park, London, England. It's a uniquely hybrid experience offering education, exploration, and entertainment curated for those joining live in person at Evolution London, live from home, or on demand on your own schedule. To get more information, visit mongodb.link slash London local. I hope to see you there. We've been heading in this direction for some time and there have been enhancements to Atlas to increase the flexibility with regard to scale. And we introduced uh, scalable storage first. So you didn't have to think about increasing the amount of, of disk you assigned to your instances. You could automatically provision additional disk space. And then that was followed up by elastic scalability with CPU and memory. And uh, largely, you can set a high watermark and a low watermark with elastic scalability. And and essentially, there's a, a radio button that you can enable to scale between those. How does that differ? How does elastic scalability in MongoDB Atlas differ from serverless? Elastic scalability will always be incredibly important to Atlas in, insofar as Atlas dedicated clusters are incredibly important in our portfolio and will never go away. But Dedicated clusters, we think, kind of it's it's a different solution to 
the same class of problems or pain. And obviously with the with a different solution, there are just different trade-offs, right? With with a dedicated cluster, that gives us a dedicated you know, virtual private cloud VPC um, where, where we'll deploy your cluster into. And that obviously comes with great levels of isolation and security guarantees. You're guaranteed to be in an isolated environment where there are no kind of noisy neighbors or, or the risk of any data leaking, et cetera. And you can set your own incredibly fine-grained backup and restore policies. And so with data, with dedicated clusters, that's where storage scaling and, and elastic CPU compute scaling makes a ton of sense. And we're con- we will continue to invest in that and make it even more responsive, continue tweaking our, our algorithms and, and what sort of uh, metrics that we're scaling off of. But there will always be trade-offs in that Dedicated clusters and how they scale are always subject essentially to the laws of physics. There's a limit to how fast we can scale them. And in truth, it's a problem that regardless of how we decide to tweak the algorithm or introduce machine learning, et cetera, isn't something we can solve elegantly. And that's where serverless comes into the picture. Serverless introduces a brand new, different architecture still trying to solve the same pain, but with a slightly different approach to it. And that means that we're able to scale much more seamlessly. We're able to do sort of consumption-based pricing, but there are going to be trade-offs in uh, the, the types of, for example, granularity back, granular backup policies you can apply to, to a serverless instance because it's just built on a slightly different architecture. Okay, so I understand what happens in Atlas when I use the web UI to launch an instance of MongoDB Atlas, launch an instance of MongoDB in Atlas, and I, I, I select a tier, I configure the instance, and away I go. And after a couple of minutes, I get the cluster instance back, and I can connect my application. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what happens in the serverless case? Absolutely. So... When we went out to build serverless instances, one thing that we wanted to make sure was that deployment was going to be seamless. So what you do today when you want to deploy a serverless instance is you can navigate to the Atlas console, that's cloud.mongodb.com. If you don't have an account, please go register, it's free. Uh, But you go to your Atlas console and all you do is you hit the create button. And where in the past, you could only select from either our shared tier offering or dedicated clusters, today there's a new option that is a serverless instance. And you'll see that if you click into serverless instance, the options are incredibly limited. All you do today is you pick a cloud provider and you pick a region and you give it a name and that's it. There are only three choices that you have and you deploy. It's then incredibly quick to deploy. You as a customer, you no longer have to think about what cluster tier or storage you need for your database, both at deployment time as well as on an ongoing basis. You just simply create kind of a cloud database, think of it as an endpoint in the cloud, and it's going to automatically and dynamically dynamically scale to meet your workload demand. And the great thing about it is that 
even though it's so simple, it continues to be a fully managed database. It's built on top of the same foundations as an Atlas dedicated cluster, and therefore it comes with many of the same built-in best-in-class operations and features of a fully managed database, including end-to-end security, continuous uptime and, and backups, automatic upgrades, ex- metrics and alerts, index suggestions, and so many more things that we've built into Atlas over the years. Um, and since it's built on the same reliable foundation, you don't have to think about management of, of your serverless instance, whether it's in workload demands or even just reliability of those resources, right? And now kind of dovetailing back into the, the two main tenets of serverless that we were describing. And all of this comes with just an incredibly intuitive operations-based pricing model. It's a pricing model that we've never done in the history of MongoDB. Uh, you only pay for what you use. Right? And in the case, and that, and we define what you use in incredibly developer-friendly terms in that we charge based on reads and writes and storage, right? These are kind of logical units that you're thinking about as you develop your application. And so hopefully that means gone are the days where you're trying to rationalize, hey, what does 1% of CPU equate to in the number of operations that I can send down to a database? Instead, it's incredibly intuitive. We'll charge you based on reads and writes and we we're trying to innovate on that lens on that lens to make it something that's incredibly fair and intuitive at the same time great and i mean it sounds like the ideal situation but as you're describing it i'm starting to think about the ideal workloads so if i'm a developer and i'm ready to launch my app what what should i look to in my app to determine whether or not my use case is ideal for serverless atlas serverless instances Number one, they're a brand new serverless database offering in the market. And number two, they're available to the public in a preview capacity or in a public preview capacity. So what that means is MongoDB continues to still be building on top of serverless instances and improving them. And that we're also eagerly learning from our customers. And what that kind of means in terms of our recommendations is that Today, we'd love to see you put more kind of infrequent or sparse workloads that fit kind of the serverless mental model um, and do kind of development and sandbox testing against your serverless instance. We're likely still a little bit too early from you putting a mission critical uh, production workload on a serverless instance. Not that I personally don't have confidence in in what we're offering as a serverless instance, but more so because it's still very young and it hasn't been battle tested yet. Um, And I'm sure my my legal counterparts, if they were listening to this podcast, uh, are also going to remind me to to tell you that serverless instances, because they're still in a preview capacity, they're not included in our uptime SLA, and therefore they're limited or restricted in functionality. However, this is something that we are incredibly excited about continuing to invest. I personally would love to hear from you as an audience. If you have any thoughts or feedback, or if you're an early adopter of serverless instances, please feel free to shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And that's great. I would love for the audience to, to get involved as well. And as Chris mentioned, 
if you want to try Atlas and, and serverless, you can jump on over to cloud.mongodb.com and register for free. It is a free service. You can use MongoDB Atlas, I mean, even in production for free. You don't have to pull out a credit card. Uh, the free instances are limited in the capacity. So obviously, you're going to want to take a look at the um, the amount of RAM and, and CPU available to those freer instances. And when you're ready, you can pull out a credit card and and increase the capacity associated with your instances. So I'm I'm compelled to ask, how then would folks that have given serverless a try, how would they give you some feedback? How do they get in touch with you? So number one, I'm actually personally reaching out to every single customer who's been using serverless instances in this early preview stage. And so hopefully if, if I'm doing, uh, if I'm doing my job, right, then you will receive an email in your inbox. Um, otherwise, we do have both a MongoDB feedback engine, which is feedback.mongodb.com, as well as a MongoDB community forum, which has a growing group of MongoDB enthusiasts. So please, uh, I, I personally frequent both of those places. And so if you have comments or feedback, please do leverage those two other forums as well. Great. Yeah, I hope we get some folks uh, jumping in and giving some feedback. I think that's how we're really going to ensure that uh, the service continues to grow uh, in the right way, in the in the ways that that developers are really concerned about. And with that in mind, do you want to talk a little bit about the future? What's what's in store for serverless? Yeah, I am I am incredibly excited for both serverless as a development practice and, and a technology that we use very often, as well as for the future of Atlas serverless instances. We at MongoDB, MongoDB believe that the serverless model will become more and more popular as a modern application trend and that serverless databases are eventually going to be as attractive and as viable as kind of more the traditional deployment models. And frankly, it's because serverless realizes the promise of the cloud. Right? We've been talking about cloud as something that will help us abstract and automate more and more of the low-level infrastructure configurations that developers and engineering teams don't want to have to learn and, or to maintain. And sometimes that is the case for, for cloud, but for those of us who have managed uh, infrastructure as a service VMs and gone in to do kernel or OS patches, we know that sometimes it's, it's still also a little bit difficult. And so serverless, we think, is really that next step in terms of actually realizing the promise that has been made by cloud all along. And so when I think about the future, um, it's honestly a, a multi-year investment for us as a company. And we already have a multi-year vision. Uh, as I'm recording this podcast, there are many engineering teams who are working day to day on improvements for serverless instances as we set a uh, generally available release of serverless instances in our near-term horizon. Um, and we're going to continue iterating on the product. While MongoDB as a kind of cloud database, we were born in the cloud era, there's honestly even more that we can do to adopt cloud native building blocks and, and cloud technology breakthroughs that have been made in the last couple of years as we iterate on our own backend architecture. 
Uh, it's something that we're incredibly excited about. It's going to be an incredibly complicated technical problem and challenge to solve, which gets me super excited. And I'll probably end by saying it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, it'll take us a while, I think, to fully achieve the vision that we have for serverless instances, but we're already incredibly excited for what we've brought to the market. We're excited for you to give it a try um, and for, to, to give us feedback so that we can continue listening and to learn and to build. As we touched on earlier, I think MongoDB, both as a company as well as the suite of products that we've built, are built on the feedback of our community and of our users. Uh, we're always eagerly listening and, and we include all of the things, all the feedback that we heard into, that we hear into our roadmap and into our planning. One of the things that I really love about MongoDB Atlas that came on uh, fairly early was access to, uh, to the features and functions within MongoDB Atlas via the API, the Atlas API. Is is serverless available as an API call? Yes. We love our developers who enjoy using infrastructure as code, using CLI, Terraform, CloudFormation. So number one, generally, I'll say MongoDB Atlas has a declarative API where you can do everything that you can do in the console via the API. We also have our own command line interface, CLI. We have our own Terraform and CloudFormation integrations. And so for those folks who don't like to use Atlas as the console or are still waiting for us to build dark mode into the Atlas UI, you can certainly use our API and serverless instances are no different. You can create and manage your serverless instance via our declarative API. Now, we talked about the, the ideal scenario and we talked a little bit about the, the preview mode. Are there cases where you probably would suggest we don't use serverless? Honestly, we've been shocked by what serverless instances are capable of ever since we've launched them. Uh, every week, we continue seeing customers put larger and larger, more and more active workloads onto serverless instances. And so, that might be something, and so we, we, we've been shocked in terms of how scalable serverless instances can be in that we've observed customers be able to go up to tens of thousands of operations per minute, you know, millions of documents scanned per operation a little bit too easily. Um, and so that might be those where I say, uh, it's not that serverless instances aren't capable, but I'd like to get a little bit more time to see surplus incidences bake and be battle tested as we incrementally improve and, and broaden the set of use cases that we would confidently serve on serverless instances before you throw large production workloads on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Where are you looking for inspiration? What, what companies out there are, are doing interesting things in the serverless space that you find you know, compelling and, and that you might like to see in our offering? Yeah, there, there are honestly a lot of companies that are innovating in the, in the serverless industry. There are, of course, the cloud providers, and I think each of the cloud providers have their own serverless offerings. Um, there are also incredibly exciting developments, both for uh, 
both on kind of the application stack. We know we work closely with Vercel and, and Netlify. Um, is there also developments in the database world as well? For example, FaunaDB and PlanetScaleDB. These are all folks, I think, who are doing very exciting and interesting stuff in the industry. And we'd love to continue learning from them and improving the adoption of serverless as a technology across as many developers as possible. Great. Yeah. And I, I love some of those companies. Uh, we'll be having an episode shortly where we're talking about uh, the development side, not necessarily the data, but the development side of, of serverless. So stay tuned for that. Chris, this has been a great chat. I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, to enlighten us about serverless. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Thank you so much for having me, Mike. The only thing that I'd like to echo one more time is we'd love to see you try out serverless instances. Uh, it's available to the public today. It's available on every Atlas console or API. So please do go give it a try and share any feedback that you have for us. Well, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks so much to Chris for joining us today, explaining all the ins and outs of MongoDB serverless, serverless instances in MongoDB Atlas. If you want to get started, head on over to cloud.mongodb.com, sign up. It's free to get started. No credit card required. Uh, you can check out serverless. Make sure you click on the feedback link and leave your feedback for Chris. He'll get in touch with you. Also remember, .local is coming November 9th. It's going to be in London this time around. If you want to find out more information about .local London, visit mongodb.link, that's mongodb.link, slash London Local. You can get more information there, sign up, and if you are going to be on site, make sure you stop by the podcast booth. I'll be broadcasting, uh, doing some interviews there. Would love to chat with you about what you're building and your experience with MongoDB. Have a great day, everybody.